So we last week looked at in the last days, there's going to be some unique doctrines of demons. The Spirit specifically, emphatically says that as silly as this sounds, no marriage, and there's a certain dietary restriction that we all have to follow, you would say that that we'll never listen to that. But yet, it's a part of the apostasy in the last days. We learn that before the rapture of the church, there will be an emptying out of the churches. People will go with the spirit of this age rather than listening to the Spirit of God. And he just says, this is what's going to happen. Forbidding the marriage, they're going to give you a strict dietary plan. And, and people to, to think, though this is the new wave of Christianity. And this legalism, which has been around many, many times before. And uh, he just says, here's, here's what you need to do, Timothy. In case you are pastoring in these last days, here's how you help the church. And it really comes down to whether or not you are a good pastor or not. And so tonight we're going to look at what is a good minister. And then we're going to hand out sheets and you can all grade me afterwards. No, we're not going to do that. No grading. I'm just assuming I get a, a passing grade. I hope so. Haven't been here long enough for you to know either way, right? But uh, in verse 6 of 1 Timothy 4, If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine or the good teaching, another word for teaching, which you have carefully followed. Well, you're a good minister if you teach on end times. Matter of fact, there is a special blessing in the book of Revelation that says, if you read this revelation, there's one revelation about Jesus, but it has a lot of revelations about the end times as well. It says that just by reading it, there'll be a special blessing on your life. Of course, there's a special blessing on reading all scripture. Psalms 1 says God will give you more than you can handle. It says there that if you meditate in God's word day and night, all that you do will prosper. Just by meditating, not reading it, just meditating on it. And um, doubly so for end times. So telling them, hey, Jesus said it plainly in Matthew 24, didn't he? He said, hey, just to let you know, be in deep prayer. (laughs) If this is you in the end times, you're an end times believer, be a man watching and praying. We know way back in the Old Testament that the sons of Ishakar, who studied out to know the prophecies of the times, that God raised them up as leaders over all of Israel because they were willing to keep track of what's going on prophetically. And so you're a good pastor if you're telling them what is going to happen in the last days, whether that's now or a hundred years from now, we don't know, but boy, the signs of the time sure look like it's soon, doesn't it? And so you're a good pastor if you instruct and keep on instructing. It's not a one-time deal. Pastors are 
shepherds, right? What do shepherds do? It's, it's sort of a brain-dead job. It really is. They just walk out. They open the gate for the sheep. They let all the sheep get out. They walk them over to some green grass and stand around, keep an eye on the wolves and make sure they're not eating any poisonous grass or plants and get them to the water and then they get them back. And they're pretty much a sort of pretty non-stressful job, really, unless there's a pack of wolves. So really a pastor is a plotter. I'm, I'm that guy. I, I you know. There is a season in my ministry where I literally got hundreds of invitations to speak a year all over the world, all kinds of conferences. And I just I just love being at my church. I just loved what I did. I, I didn't need to fly anywhere, didn't need to go anywhere. My plan is to see the world in the millennial reign. I got really good knees in the millennial reign. Flying horse, thousand years. Might snow ski a hundred years, scuba dive for a hundred years, got 800 years left. You know, 800 years to perfect my golf game. Still, still will be bad at it, even after 800 years. And a new body, I'll still be bad at it. But I love it. And, and so, it's really just saying the truth over and over again. Peter says that. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12-14, through 14, For this reason I will not, not be neglectful to just remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it right, as long as I am in this tent, referring to his human body, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as the Lord Jesus Christ showed me. So, I'm just going to keep telling you what you already know, what you've already heard, and, and that's what a good pastor does. It's, you're coming to church to hear something you've never heard before. We're all in trouble. Because there shouldn't be anything new that I come up with. Because if I do, it's not sound doctrine. I mean, this has been taught for 2,000 years. Okay? Since the Lord raised again from the dead. So everything that was to be found has been found. And um, we are simply telling you the truth over and over again. And he says there, a good minister nourishes, which is feeds, sustaining himself in the words of faith. So a good pastor is, is really a guy who's feeding his own soul, who's eating it up. He's not a dead preacher Preaching to a bunch of dead people while we're sitting around in a dead church. You, you know, there's a lot of people that sort of want that. They, they want the pastor just to read the liturgy that's in the book of liturgies for that date of the year. It's a paragraph or two. A, a thought that says, be nice and be kind and, and let's all just get along. And uh, sing the hymns that are already selected and a Bible vert passage that's already been selected. And we're out of here in 20 minutes. But they just want that. They don't, they don't want any life. They just want to go through some rituals um, that they've been through over and over. We're not doing that. We don't want that. We want there to be life. And so even the word of God itself can be dead. If the ears hearing it are dead, 
Remember, Jesus said to the Pharisees, you study the scriptures because in them you think you'll find life. They weren't finding life in the scriptures. But Jesus said, these are the very scriptures that speak of me and you hate me. In other words, if you were really getting the right interpretation, you would be worshiping me. You would be listening to me and following me. But yet, you're knowledgeable, you've got your doctorate, you're telling everybody what it means, and, and you're, the more you study the Bible, the more you hate God's Son, the Messiah. Satan can quote Scripture, twisted, but yet he, can, he knows it. So, we have to have the Holy Spirit giving us ears to hear. The Holy Spirit speaking those words. And so, the guy preaching has got to be filled with the Spirit. This morning I woke up and I, and I call it, I call it a delightful burden. I, I just have this place where I'm just crying out in my spirit constantly. I just want to get on my face and stay there all day just crying out to God. For you guys, for the church, for our area. As I'm studying the scriptures for tonight, I have such hope that people will hear the gospel and as many as are appointed to eternal life, they will believe. And I think there's a lot. What well, makes you think that? Because Jesus said the fields of Los Alamitos are white unto harvest. Well, that was a city in Samaria, but it's no, no, tr- no doubt true today. There are many that have been appointed to eternal life before the foundations of the world, and they simply have not believed because nobody has preached. And if somebody will preach, God has already determined to give them ears to hear and a heart to receive. All it takes is us to be filled with the Spirit. And tonight, that's been my prayer all day long, so I'd be filled with the Spirit. That God, as Satan I know, is fighting every single person that got here tonight. You probably fought to get here tonight. Satan didn't want anybody to hear this. Streaming live right now, I'm just praying that God would put hearts on and people would click to listen to the sermon that never even would have considered it. But yet God put it on their heart to do it. And it would really be by the power of God's Spirit. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4 through 6. And we have such trust through Christ towards God. Great little verse. Got to meditate on that one. But I threw it in there just so you can think about it. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves. But our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And in Romans 10, 17, that person that's filled with the Spirit and speaking by the power of the Spirit and God giving people ears to hear. It says that faith will come by that hearing and hearing by the Word of God. But again, God's got to give us grace by the power of His Spirit to hear. I don't know about you, but my heart gets hard. It gets numb. It gets angry. It gets frustrated, and I don't want to listen to anybody, including God. And I got to get over myself. I got to get past my feelings. I got to have a tender, teachable spirit again. 
And so I know how complicated this is tonight, even. Between me to you, we need the work of God's Spirit. There in Zechariah chapter 4, a very powerful verse, sort of an important verse for Calvary chapels, a verse that really was sort of the theme verse for God's move in the Jesus movement. In Zechariah 4, verse 6 and 7, For he answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord is Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Not by an army, not by a well-constructed group, but just the pure power of the spirit. And then he goes on to say, Who are you, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? You shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. I love that. When the Spirit of God is moving, we're just shouting, it's by the work of God. We don't deserve it. We don't earn it. We're not worthy of it, but just God does it. And that's what's going to happen here in our fellowship. God's going to do a mighty work in reaching this community and beyond, however far he wants to go. And not it's not going to be visible because we're going to have a large church. I don't know if God's going to do that or not. Because God is going to lead his sheep. Maybe it's the Baptist church. Maybe it's the Presbyterian church. Maybe it's another Calvary chapel. It doesn't matter to me. But that they heard the gospel and believed, right? But yet God is going to do it by the power of the Spirit. Boy, it was really on my heart today to read this chapter of Ezekiel 37, talking about by the Spirit. In Ezekiel 37, verse 1, And the hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out of, of this, in the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. And then he caused me to pass by them all around. And behold, there were very many in the open valley. And indeed, there were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord, you know. And he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones. Surely I will cause breath. In the Hebrew, that's the word ruach. So it's the same exact word for spirit. So, surely I will cause the breath, the ruach, the spirit to enter you. And you shall live. And I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you and cover you with skin and put breath, the ruach, the spirit in you. And you shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And I prophesied. And there was a noise and suddenly a rattling. And the bones came together bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked and sinews and the flesh came upon them. And the skin covered them over. But there was no breath, ruach, in them. And he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy me that the spirit prophecy. Son of man, say to the breath. Thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, breathe on these slain, and they may live. Remember back in Genesis, it said God breathed into the dirt, and Adam became a living being. It's a play on words. He breathed the Spirit into Adam, and he became a living being. It's the same thing here. 
God's breathing into these bones that have flesh on them, but still they're not alive. Even though they're physically alive, they're not alive because the Spirit is not yet in them. And so in verse 10, So I prophesied as he commanded me, the breath came into them and they lived and stood up upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. And then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say, Our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, O thus Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought up from your graves. And verse 14, I will put my spirit. Now he's doing a play on that word. Put my spirit or the breathe the breath in you. And you shall live, just like Adam in the garden. And I will place you in your land, and you shall know that I am the Lord, have spoken to you, performed it, says the Lord. And thus Israel is in the land to this day. But this same prophecy is good for the church. The church. They're God's children. But yet we, through lack of obedience, of living by the flesh and not keeping ourselves in the love of God, sort of like the church of Ephesus, we can just get really dry. Doctrinally correct, our names in the book of life are going to heaven, but yet in this earth, we're not, as Paul said in Ephesians 5, be filled and keep being filled with the Spirit. We can become those dry bones over and over again. And I'll tell you what, I think during this COVID time, those that were dry bones got drier. And I think there's a whole other group of people that said, Lord, I'm in dry bones. And this COVID season has really revealed how dead my bones are. And I need a new filling of your spirit. That's what we need, isn't it? That's what I need personally. That's what my marriage needs. That's what my house needs. That's what my kids need. That's what we need as a church, isn't it? God, Spirit to breathe a fresh work, just like on that day of Pentecost. So you're a good minister if you say the same thing over and over again, but not a dead preacher to dead people in a dead church, but a Spirit-filled pastor. How can I pray for you, Brian? Anybody want to guess? That would be filled with the Spirit. Amen? I'd just be so filled with the Spirit that all shadows go and nothing but light and purity and power and love. And as David cried out and said, Lord, give me an undivided heart. So easy to get so focused on the earth that we lose focus of, hey, we're here for God's purpose, not our purpose. Well, a good pastor is also a good pastor, a good minister, if he has good doctrine or teaching. He is healthy, getting filled up in it himself, and then he's speaking it, line upon line, precept upon precept, accurately. Deuteronomy 4, verse 2 says, You shall not add to the word I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I have commanded you, 
Virtually the same thing in Deuteronomy 12.32. Whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it, nor take away from it. Often we can do that when the scripture is hard to obey. We just say, well, it doesn't really mean that. It means this. <laughs> oh, that's easy to do. I'm already doing that. Yeah, I like your interpretation. We've got to be careful to say what it really says and not to add to it or take away from it. Today, I think a lot of the mainline denominations are dead because they've had decades now where they've left teaching the Word. Why? People aren't interested in it. It's too, too much schooling. Too much work. I just want to just sit here. I don't want to have to open my Bible. I don't want to have to study. I just want to hear this devotional thing and be painless and get over with and I can just leave and get back to my life. And so pastors have been catering to that because they don't want their people to leave. So they're listening and they're doing what they want. And so, you know, they, churches where John Wesley or John Calvin or Luther or some of these great men of God would preach for hours sometimes. Like Paul did. And the guy fell out of the window, remember, after he preached for many hours? Yeah. But now these churches, these Lutheran, Methodist, Presbyterian churches, the pastor men, maybe 20 minutes, and hardly, hardly any of that is the word, but more like stories. So they've left really teaching. They, they're sort of saying, as long as everybody sincerely believes, it doesn't matter what you believe. You're a sincere Muslim, God will see your sincerity unto him as if it were Jesus, and you're saved. A Hindu, you're, you're also, you're sincere. All, all of you, Muslim, Mormon, Jehovah, as long as you have this sincerity of heart, that's the American gospel now, guys, and we know it. Huh. Oh, you go to, oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, I'm, I go to the whatever church that is just as good. They're all the equal. They're all the same. No, they're, they're really not. Some people are digging into the Word. Some people are wrestling with the truth to know what God is saying and to obey it and to live it out. So the Bible says otherwise. What we believe, it's technical. The Bible tells us this. And it's precise. And getting it right is of an eternal importance. And, and so the truth of God is not like a butter knife. It's like a razor blade. God is not saying this. He's not saying that. He's not saying that. He's not saying that. He's saying this, but it sounds like that, but he's not saying that. And it is a very fine, fine truth. In Galatians 1, you know that where they basically said, hey, if we just change a few things about the story of Jesus and the gospel, we basically can have a... Judaized Christianity that's a little more Jew than it is Christian and, and, and that would really work best in the more Jewish churches and the Galatia area and Paul said I don't know where you're getting this it's very powerful but it's not from God if an angel from heaven which is what happened with the Mormon church the angel Moroni supposedly quote of God spoke to Joseph Smith and so forth 
preach any other gospel, even if an angel, if we, excuse me, we or an angel preach any other gospel to you than what we preach to you, let him be anathema, accursed. As we have said before, and now I say again, we confronted these issues when I was there, and we told you they're heresy. If anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. So, Timothy, you need to communicate the truth. You need to wrestle with the truth. You need to be a worker of the word, rightly dividing precisely the word of truth. That's going to safeguard the sheep from deception. And churches today that neglect the teaching of the word, line upon line, precept upon precept, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, they're making an anemic church. And error and bad doctrine can easily come in and throw the whole church off course. So it's important that Timothy has the right truth in his own heart and that he is giving the right truth to his people. And he says it there, you also carefully carefully follow it. You know, there is no pastor on the planet that lives as good as he preaches. Okay? We, we, we can say things better than we can live it. So if you're thinking some pastor is living exactly everything he's teaching, I do not think that is humanly possible. I won't go into that, but that's what I believe. But we should definitely be attempting to. We should definitely be living pretty close to what we are telling the church to believe, that we believe it and are also following it. But as he said earlier in this chapter, that these guys who come in and teach these legalistic things, they are not doing it. He said right up front, they are the worst offenders of this new legalism they set up. They're not even trying to obey it themselves. They're telling you, you can't eat this, but they are. And um, in 2 Timothy 1, Paul later would say in the second letter, in verse 13 and 14, Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Good things which were committed to you keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. God's Holy Spirit to know it. God's Holy Spirit and his power to obey it ourselves. And then instruct the brethren with these things. The word in Greek literally means to place under or lay it down. It's you Put this crazy, solid foundation down for the church that nobody can move it. It's so precise. It's so clear. It's so spoken by the power of the Spirit of God that when heresies come in, deceptions come in, when we're heading towards the last days and these doctrines of demons begin to try to throw the church off course, As for me and my house, Joshua said, we'll serve the Lord. If it seems evil to you to follow the Lord the way I'm following the Lord, that's on you, Joshua says. But for me, it doesn't seem evil. For me, I'm going to obey the Lord and walk as he would have me to. And so he's saying, lay it down, this solid, solid foundation. Well, in verse 7, he goes on to say, but reject profane and old wise fables. He said that earlier in chapter 1. And exercise yourself towards godliness. To see living a godly life like you would physical exercise. 
you've got to understand, in Ephesus, a very, very large Roman city, still held the Greek architecture and the Greek influence. And the Greeks were all about the body. Everybody had to have washboard abs. Everybody had to be in incredible shape. They're the ones who started the Olympics. The Romans and there were very much the same thing. They were all very much into the human body and being naked in the bathhouses. You know, everybody looked good. And so no doubt, Timothy, this young guy, is there in Ephesus and all the other young guys are exercising like crazy. And probably Timothy's getting into it and really getting buff. Working out and running and getting in shape. And, and, uh, but yet he also doesn't want to be the pastor there. He wants to quit because he's getting so beat up and it's hard to be a pastor. And, and Paul is saying, hey, it's good that you're exercising. But now the effort you're putting in to, to maintain your physical body, do that same thing spiritually to godliness. Did you know the word godliness occurs 15 times in the New Testament? Interesting. 13 of the 15 are found in the pastoral epistles of 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus. And 9 out of 15 occurrences of the word godliness are found in 1st Timothy. What does it mean, the godliness It means a reverent worship and respect of God that results in obedience. That you are exercising yourself, that God would be reverently worshipped by you, respected by you, and you would have this heart of obedience. Godliness conveys the idea of a personal attitude towards God that results in actions that are pleasing to God. Generally, a church will reflect the attitudes of the senior pastor. Have you noticed that? The flavor of the senior pastor becomes the flavor of the church because we affect each other. But imagine if you have a pastor who's exercising himself towards godliness to have a reverent and worshipful heart towards God, towards his word, towards prayer, towards evangelism. How much more the people are going to grow in their own life when they hear spirit-filled prayers, when they see a humble heart crying out to God, is it not going to cause their hearts to humble themselves and also cry out to God? If the pastor has a burden for the lost and he speaks of that, the people also can begin seeing and having a burden for the lost. So as Timothy's wrestling with the word and wrestling to be faithful in the word, that's exercise. Wrestling is exercise, isn't it? And so really the main exercise of a pastor is giving himself to the word of God and prayer, in particular, the word of God. Listen to what Job, that amazingly wise man, said in Job 23, 12. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than necessary food. Jeremiah fifteen sixteen, Your words were found and I ate them. And your word was to me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. 
King David in Psalms 19. It's got to be one of my favorite psalms in verse 7 through 10. The Lord, the law of the Lord, the word of God. That's the law. He only had the first five books, which is called the law, the Torah. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. Wow. He rejoices. He delights. It's his treasure. It's sweeter than honey from a honeycomb. Have you ever seen anybody do that? Grab an actual honeycomb out of the boxes now, and it just bite right into that honeycomb with the honey. I've not done that, but I, it's on my bucket list. My mouth's watering. Even now, I already think about it. But pure honey is one of the purest foods. I think it is the purest food, is it not, on the planet Earth? It will never go bad. Honey in a jar never goes bad, ever. It can harden, but you just heat it up and it will become liquid again. I remember back in the Y2K, they were, they were saying get a lot of honey because you could survive on a teaspoon of honey a day. Or a tablespoon of honey a day. You could actually survive on that. So, just a tip. You never know when you'll need this. What's coming next after this corona? We don't know. As long as you got honey. Mainly the Word of God. Second Peter 1.3, Peter says, His divine power has given me all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by the glory and virtue. So exercise yourself in the Word of God and the knowledge of God. And it's good for this life that we're living now on planet Earth as well as for eternity. But again, reject Things that are not the pure word of God may have some truth in it, may have some good ideas in it, but it's not the word of God. Psalms 119, 104, through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Well, verse eight, but bodily exercise or training profits a little. I think the best interpretation of that is for a little while. Bodily exercise is really good for the body now. But once we're out of these bodies and our brand new bodies, all the exercise we put into it on planet Earth is not going to pay off in our, you know, heavenly bodies. Like, Lord, just make me look like I am right now in heaven in a brand new body. I don't think anybody's going to say it. Even the buffest guys are going to say, I want a new body. So it's good, it's good. You can see how it helps. It's good now for planet Earth. You can see exercising makes you feel, gets the chemistries in your body working. Your, your back quits hurting. You lose some weight. You, you get in shape. It feels great. But godliness, exercising yourself toward godliness, is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of the life which is to come. So godliness benefits us in this life. Peter just said that. Being the light, being the salt, not having fear, but having the word of God meditating in it. We're kept in a perfect peace when our mind is stayed upon him. We don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. And the peace of God 
guides our heart and our mind. I don't know about you, but I want peace. I need peace. I can get anxious. I can get worried. I can, I can start having panic attacks. I, I, I know how necessary it is to let God's word and the truth of his word be greater than any other noise and voices out there. And in verse 9, this is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance. He says this five times, four times in First Timothy and also Titus. And I don't know if it's referring to what he just said or what he's getting ready to say. But it's a definite, true statement of what he said before and after. But in verse 10, for to this end we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. So to this end we labor. There has been a false teaching that says, you know, you got the right religion when there's no effort in it. You just, you know, live and let live, just let go and go with the flow. And if you have the right mental, spiritual thoughts, then then everything will just flow. It's not true, guys. We are in a world that is being held captive by Satan. He's the God of this earth, the prince of the power of the air. He is lying and his lies are working. And we are in a battle against him. If we share our faith, you'll see the demon attacks start coming at you. If you're trying to win your relative or your next door neighbor, you'll see Satan working overtime to try to bring a battle between the two of you. There's a real devil out there. And, and people are really getting wounded and, and need, need a lot of time and energy to be poured into them to get them out of that pit and out of the lies of the devil and into the truth. And so we have to labor. Boy, the guy sure labor here setting up. A lot of labor goes in. If you ever want to come early, help set up. Stay a little late, help tear down with the sound. Amanda needs some help with the kids' ministry. Um, nobody has stepped forward yet to, to offer to help her on Wednesday night or Sunday morning. Yeah, it's labor, isn't it? It's all labor. And Hebrews 6.10 says, For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown towards his name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. In 1 Thessalonians 5.12, And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you, and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And also to suffer reproach. The ministry carries with it, doesn't it? Some real cruel attacks. Paul in Hebrews 10, verse 32 to 35. I believe Paul's writer of Hebrews. But I recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with suffering. Partly while you were made a spectacle both of reproaches and tribulations, partly while you become companions of those who were so treated. For you had 
compassion on me and my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourself in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which is great reward. In 2 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul, I think, wins the prize. He, he, you know, he had a ministry of showing how many things one must suffer for Christ's, ministry, for Christ's sake. And in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23 to 29, or 28. Are they ministers of Christ? <coughs> Excuse me. I speak as fool, I am more, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, prisons more frequently, deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received forty stripes minus one. <coughs> Excuse me. Three times I have been beaten with rods. Once I stoned, literally to death. The Lord reasoned from the dead. Three times I was shipwrecked. And we know about a fourth time in uh, Acts 27. A night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils and waters, in perils and robbers, in perils of our own countrymen, in perils of Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil and sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst and fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides other things, what comes upon me daily, the deep concern for all the churches. Paul suffered continuously. To fulfill his ministry. And he's saying, you guys are having to suffer too. But not to this degree. But even if it was, you need to. And thus we trust in the living God. We're looking to the future reward. Not for the reward right now. But for the reward that's going to be in heaven. And I need to do a study on this. Of just understanding that reward. Because the Bible is saying it's really serious stuff. That you have rewards in heaven. And if you're a mature in the Lord, you know that you don't want to just make it to heaven, but you want to make it to heaven with great rewards. And Jesus said it plainly, Paul says it plainly, they make it clear. You don't want to just make it to heaven, but you want to make it to heaven with great reward. And it talks about quite a bit. In 2 Corinthians 5, listen to how Paul talks about this in verse 9 and 10. Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. Whether I'm here on earth or in heaven, that, that right now I'm, I'm just geared towards pleasing the Lord. And he says, listen to this in verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This is not the great white throne judgment in Revelation where those who are the unbelieving stand for eternal damnation. This is the Bema seat. Very specific word. It's the word that they use in the Olympic Games, giving various prizes. So we are going to get, we're going to stand before that Bema seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in his body according to what he's done, good or bad. 1 Corinthians 3 says there's a lack of reward, a loss of reward, and there's also gain of reward. He said there's some people that are carnal, like the Corinthians were being, who he said um, will make it to heaven but have no reward. And Paul talked about it as an absolute tragedy. Going to heaven is a tragedy? <laughs> it's wonderful, but, but having gone to heaven with no reward because 
they were unwilling to suffer and labor and and uh, and and live for heaven to come. And so Paul makes it clear here to Timothy: we do all of this and continue doing all this with the prize in mind, standing before God and being rewarded for all that we've done in our body. And it goes on the last statement, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. Christ died for the sins of all men. Not just for the sins of the elect, as the Calvinists say. This, this is important because the Bible repeatedly says this. But yet Calvin taught that when he died on the cross, it was only the elect sins that he died for. That those who weren't the elect, Jesus didn't die for their sins. But the Bible says over and over again that, that he did. And it's important. Because everybody has their sins forgiven if they will believe. They can have their sins forgiven. So I can look at my neighbor who has no desire to, to live for God. But I can say to him honestly... Your sins have also been paid for by Jesus on the cross. Now, if he doesn't believe in Christ and receive that work of Christ in his death and resurrection, then he will take and pay for his own sins for all of eternity. But the possibility was there in a moment, in a fraction of a second, to believe. That Jesus died for his sins, was buried, and rose again the third day. You are saved. It was that simple. But yet he wouldn't believe. But this is the message. And of course, it's incredibly joyful to those who do believe. John 3.16 For God so loved the what? World. Calvin said, no, 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 no. It was the elect only. That, Christ, that God loved. That he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes. That doesn't mean whoever. That means the elect. When the elect believe in him. Should not perish without everlasting life. That's not what the Bible says. God loves everyone. Everyone who has ever lived. God loved them. Even if it was just in the womb and they were aborted. God loves them, even if they only live for two minutes. Even if they were the most wicked men that their generation had seen. God still loved them. Jesus says for us to love our enemies. How much more God so loved the world. It's not hard for us to believe that. But yet Calvin said, that takes away glory from God. That you're not glorifying God if you don't limit that to only the elect. No, guys. God loves the whole world. Jesus took the sins of the whole world upon him. Look at First John 2, 2. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the what? The whole world. The, those who believe, those who are the elect will believe. I do believe that. And Jesus Christ is the Savior of all men. But especially those who believe, they will see it and benefit from that. 
In 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord's not slack concerning his promises. Some would count as slackness, talking about the rapture of the church, his return. But is long-suffering towards us, not willing that, what? Any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. A funny story in Genesis. A guy, Methuselah, is born. And his dad prophetically named him Methuselah, which means... And the year he dies, then comes judgment. And the world was wicked. It was the time of Noah. God doesn't wish any to perish. So did Methuselah die at 100? Or 300? Or about... Methuselah kept living until he became the oldest living man on earth, almost a thousand years old. 969 years old. The year he died came the worldwide flood. What do we see in that story? God just kept this old guy going, Come on, Lord, I'm 900 years old. Yeah, but I, I, I don't wish any to perish. I want Noah to keep pre- preaching the gospel that somebody might believe besides his own family. And God just ridiculously kept this guy alive 969 years. In the same way before he comes again, he's going to be ridiculous. It's like, come on, how long do the signs of the time have to be here? Lord, you're supposed to already have raptured us out of here. And, you know, this, this piece of fruit is really getting ripe. And, and we have to expect that. We have to expect it going, yeah, you've been saying this since you were 15 years old, Brian, and now you're 100. And you're still saying the Lord's going to come back any time. Yeah, I know. It, it, God's pretty ridiculous because it's in his heart that none would perish, that every possible person that would believe would believe. So what do we see? Whoever believes in John 3.16, Jesus is the propitiation for the sins of the whole world in 1 John 2.2. 2. And then in 2 Peter 3.9, Christ wishes that none would perish, but that all come to repentance. We know from scriptures those who believe are the elect, the chosen, from the foundations of the world. But we should preach to the whole world the love of God. The whole world, even if they're not going to believe. They need to hear from you that God loves them. Even if they won't believe that they'll spit on you and persecute you, they still need to know that Christ paid for their sins. There is a way of salvation. It's up to them. We can't make anybody believe. But God forbid any doctrine that would keep us from telling the whole world, not only the elect, but even those who won't believe the truth that God loves them. He does. He doesn't wish they would perish. God does not rejoice in the death of the wicked. He loves them, that Christ did die for them. He did pay for their sins. But unless they receive that sacrifice of God's only Son, It cannot be applied unto them. And they will die in their own sins rather than die having been forgiven of all sins. Do we understand why this is so important? In Mark 16, 15, he said to them, to us, 
Go into all the world and preach the gospel, the good news, to every creature. You know, when I, I was in London some years back, I was walking down the road and, and, and there, there were these guys that came out. They had literally put, in, put horns in their head. They had their face looked like different animals. They had tattooed themselves. They no longer looked human. They looked like an actual leper or something. Different animals. And that verse came to every creature. <laughs> yep, that's, I get it, Lord. I, I think when the first missionaries went to Africa and saw those guys in big giant earrings in their ears and, and their lips sticking out six inches, it's like, whoa, what do we got here? A creature. Uh, they're a human creature. And... and and God loves them. I just want to tell you one more thing. That picture of heaven. What does it say? And there before the throne was every tongue of every language of every peoples praising and worshiping God. God loves the world. And it's our job to tell him that. That's it. Tell them the good news. Don't, don't put your light under a bushel. Don't put it under the bed. Be the light of the world. That's who you are naturally. Be the salt of the earth. They need to get a t- flavor. I'm not thirsty at all. Let me salt you. Now, oh no, I made, you made me really thirsty. What else does the Bible say? That's us. Amen? Lord, we thank you for your word here tonight, and we get it. We hear you, Lord. If there's any right now here tonight that have not believed, it's a gift of God. Jesus said, whoever will come and drink from me will never thirst again, but will gush forth unto everlasting life. Jesus said, whoever believes in me will not perish, but have everlasting life. Believe what? First Corinthians 15 says the gospel is this simple. That Jesus died carrying your sins upon him. That he was buried. And just as he said, just as he prophesied, three days later he rose again conquering sin and death. And has paved the way of salvation. As he raised from the dead, we also, just like him in the same manner, will also be in our brand new bodies with him and perfect righteousness. He paid for your sins. He was buried. He rose the third day. I believe. I believe Jesus is my Savior. I believe that He paid on the cross for my sins and that He was buried and rose again the third day. I believe that the Bible says the heart believes under righteousness. That God's rich to all who call upon His name. If you're listening online right now, or maybe you'll listen to this sermon ten years from now, it stands true for you also. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Your name's written in the book of life. It'll never come out. God has saved you and He'll never let you go. You will never perish. You will have everlasting life. And of course, we want to give ourselves to obedience so we can be fruitful. 
and have much reward in heaven. A crown, not to glorify ourselves, but a crown to throw before him and say, you alone, Lord, are worthy of all praise and power and glory. Thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.